From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 50. As a thank you for sticking with us through all these episodes to get to this momentous occasion, we're going to offer a great discount on my most popular shoulder resource, Sturdy Shoulder Solutions. You can find it at www.sturdyshoulders.com. If you enter podcast50 as a coupon code at checkout, that'll get you $50 off on this resource for the next week. Again, that's sturdyshoulders.com, podcast50 as your coupon code. With that said, we're going to get to today's episode. Really excited to have one of the best hitting guys in the game. I think you're really going to like it. Today's guest is one of the most recognized private sector hitting coaches in the country, having worked with some of the game's best players, most notably Justin Turner, Mookie Betts, Hunter Pence, and Marlon Byrd. His Northridge, California facility, The Ball Yard, opened in 1998 and has become a destination for some of the most talented players in the game. While he's best known for his work with professional players, he and his staff also work extensively with baseball and softball players at the college, high school, and youth levels. Please welcome to the show, Doug Latta. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you, Eric, for having me on. I am very excited for this because I feel like uh, whether it's, uh, you know, even though it may be unintentional, I feel like we always tend to have a little bit of pitcher bias. So the more we can get a uh, good hitting talk on this, the, I think the better off we are for everybody. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to start with saying, you know, you've been what I would say maybe tactfully critical of the direction a lot of hitting instruction has gone, you know, with the, the analytics re- revolution of the past decade or so. So let's, let's talk about where you see the industry going as a whole and where maybe the, the shortcomings are on that front, you know, as we see baseball in 2020. Um, I think the first one we look at is as with, you know, most changes, you have the, you know, pendulum is, is swinging the other direction right now. Mm-hmm. And as you know, everybody's going into the analytics and the metrics and, you know, the data and technology from the standpoint of assessing and building hitters. Um, and again, we're not really there yet. Uh, and if you go back historically, science has always tried to define and describe hitting. Uh, whether it be, you know, some of the work that was done at Columbia University with Babe Ruth in the 20s and all the way through what we're doing in the modern age, uh, people have tried to investigate and create and quantify, you know, the moves in hitting and, and how it works. And I don't think we're really far away from, you know, those same ventures today, other than we're putting a lot of weight on the perception of information we're getting. And I mean the perception being that we hear data, we tie it into now the new uh, stat cast information on exit velocity and launch angle. And I think we're missing some of the physical side of it. Um, and everybody seems to be in a rush to upgrade uh, player development mm-hmm. and p- pretty much are throwing dust at the problem, just trying to find something that will stick. And I think data by itself isn't really relevant. It's got to be taken in the context of, of movement and what we're really trying to create in a game environment. I, I love that. Do you think it's it's also a function of maybe being a little bit too 
outcome driven rather than the process aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I feel like in, you know, I've heard you do interviews in the past where, you know, you saw swings that were technically great, uh, you know, from a, a data standpoint, the launch angle, the exit loss, all of, all of all that was great, but you know you see it as a swing that would never actually play in a game. Correct. Uh, again, you you look at the ability to, uh, you know, what is successful at the major league level, because essentially, I don't care if we're talking about a major league player or a entry level player at, you know, eight years old, the basics of the movement are going to be the same. Uh, I'm not saying the strength is there or the mental. Uh, part of it, the maturity, but the body moves pretty much the same way. So we start ingraining patterns early. So the key to me is is being able to understand how the swing works as an effect of what the body created, because the swing is 100% the result of the body move, and trying to quantify results or uh, teach results. For instance, the I, I still shake my head, the Qualifying a hitter based upon hitting a ball off a tee for exit velocity, I've always, I shake my head. I'm like, what are we doing? It, it just makes no sense to me because it's, that's not how we hit in a game. Um, yet today in many combines and showcases and even in the minor leagues, uh, that kind of testing is going on. Let's see how hard you can hit a ball off a tee. You know, let's see max exit velocity from a static situation where absolutely zero of that comes into play in a game swing under pressure. Mm -hmm. What I loved is I, the, the discussion of, um, of youth hitters and, you know, and major leaguers sharing a lot of commonalities. And we're, we're definitely going to come back to that. But before we do, I, I want to, you know, kind of build on the previous discussion. And, you know, so you were one of the first guys to really promote hitting the ball in the air. Um, you were front and center on that as it, it you know, kind of, a you know, took a more prominent role in the game today. Talk about the resistance that you got, you know, from the, the swing down traditionalist, you know, early on as you introduced that. Well, most certainly at the uh, major league level, you know, eight, nine years ago, there was a lot of resistance to, you know, the idea of uh, getting the ball in the air. And we describe it as a very, you know, simple idea. We don't want any ball coming off the bat at a downward angle. At higher levels of the game, when you hit a ground ball, the chances are you're going to be out. It's just the way, you know, defense is played. Um, I've asked, you know, infielders, what happens when a ground ball is hit to you? And they go, the result is an out. Exactly. So our thought has always been, get the ball in the air, shoot the grass. We're not necessarily trying to create a swing that's going to hit a ball 400 feet over the fence. But we want to create a swing dynamic that allows us to exploit the game and that's in the air. You've got to hit it over defenders, not at them. Um, and of course, some of those balls are going to be, you know, in the gaps, doubles, as well as balls leaving the park, but that's not the goal. Um, and I think now, years later, I guess the, uh, the pendulum shift has allowed people to try and look into the thought of get the ball in the air with a lot more acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will assure you, even 20 years ago, you know, at the roughly the amateur and college level, uh, it was ridiculed. You know, I mean, literally coaches <laughs> would ridicule the idea of what we were teaching players. High school coaches would grimace and shake their head and, you know, talk about heresy. And it just continued to go up the ladder from there. 
what are some of the biggest misconceptions about it? You know, cause it, as, as with any, you know, new thought process that gets put out, it's kind of like the game of telephone where, you know, you tell one person, they tell somebody. And by the time it's, it's 15 coaches away, the message is, is really, really skewed in a, in a direction that you, you probably, you know, wouldn't accept from a quality control standpoint in your own facility. So wh- where do, where do people uh, misconstrue what you're putting out there? Well, the distortion is real and, uh, it started when we would, we told a writer, uh, I think it was Marlon Bird and I were being interviewed, and we talked about our idea of just trying to get the ball in the air, you know, shoot the grass, just not, you know, hit down on the ball to create, you know, balls that are going to be out. And that writer coined the phrase fly ball revolution because it sounds better than get the ball in the air. Yeah. And the thought of, you know, that, you suddenly saw people changing swings and actually shoulder angles up to the sky, trying to hit, you know, underneath the ball and and doing all these things that people began to equate with uh, quote unquote launch angle swings. And this was part of some of the problems we had with the major league level in the first couple of years, because people would sit there and say, you know, this is a launch angle swing. They'd post it on social media. So, uh, a big league hitting coach would look at that swing and know that was a terrible swing. Mm-hmm. But then they would sit there and say, oh, that launch angle stuff, that's that lattice stuff. Oh, I'm out on that. <laughs> because of the perception of what they saw and what was being presented by the, you know, by someone else's interpretation of what we were trying to do. Um, so again, the biggest thing we're trying to do in every, is we're teaching an, a body efficient and effective swing, you know, basically, uh, an economy of motion because we don't have time at the rate of what we do at the big league level. I mean, we're working on milliseconds. So we try to clean up the body moves so we can have a, a swing that can exploit the entire zone. We want to be able to have coverage and effective contact, you know, in a long area rather than, you know, up and out of the zone as a lot of the people portray the quote unquote launch angle swing to be. Well, I'm actually intrigued to get your take on this. So one of the things I, I spoke with one of our major league hitters about, you know, so certainly there was a, you know, there's the initial, you know, learning to hit the ball in the air. And then obviously there was an adjustment by pitchers as we saw more four seams up. We saw more, you know, the resurgence of, you know, the elite curveball and all this where people were kind of pitching up down. And, you know, I actually had some of our big league hitters talk about how nowadays they, they feel much more comfortable with high heaters. They've seen so many of them that they've adjusted. What do you think the next correction is? Are we, are we waiting for the return of like an elite sinker to combat the guys who are, who are now handling up down a lot better? Or what's, what's your take on the, the next iteration of this, you know, this chess match between pitchers and hitters? Well, I think we're going to see a lot more pitch development. You know, the, uh, laboratory environment does lend itself better to pitching than hitting. Mm-hmm. And you would think about each pitcher is going to be able to find his own way to change grips, finger pressures. And be able to duplicate pitches that generally was that hasn't been done over the course of time because of the technology wasn't there that allowed the pitcher to do it. So I think we're going to see more in and out from the standpoint of being able to cover both sides of the plate. Um, and I think you're going to see the resurgence of probably tougher sinkers because as you start looking at the ability to manipulate the ball, we're going to see some interesting things develop. Um, and, you know, functionally, pitching has been ahead of the hitting for a while now. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's always going to be the nature of it. What can hitters do to, to combat that? You know, certainly it's, it's pregame scouting reports, it's understanding who you're facing, things like that. What are your, your other thoughts on, on how hitters can potentially keep up with the, the, the revolution of pitch design that's taking place? Well, the most important thing, uh, is they're going to have to be, you know, efficient. Uh, they're going to have to have enough time to recognize pitches to be able to stay on the ones that they want and lay off the ones that they don't want. And when you start, you know, calibrating that the fact of, you know, vision and timing are so important to a hitter, then the move has to, that support set has to be the, the focus. Um, hitters hit in an open environment. You know, we don't hit in a lab. So we are basically reacting to all those things that are coming out of the pitching lab. And what gives us the opportunity to react is timing and vision. And, and actually, that's probably a good segue into my next question. So, you know, I've listened to a, a bunch of podcasts that you've done over the years and seen some YouTube videos and all that and, you know, even read some, you know, some articles about your approach. And there were, there were two key concepts that I feel like, you know, emerge in just about every discussion of hitting. And it, it seems like they're central tenets to your philosophy. You talk about getting to 50-50 and, you know, you also talk about balance. Um, you know, let's talk about what they mean to you um, and why they're so impactful for hitters. Well, like I said, they, they, they go hand in hand mm-hmm. and we look, we talk about the 50 50 being that's the area we're going to, we're going to get to from our setup where we're going to start our swing. So we have our setup. Some people call it the stance and then we have that move to our 50 50 and that's where we're going to start the swing. So again, the 50 50 represents, you know, balance, but the key is in order to get to a good balance 50 50, the hitter's body has to be set up in a way that allows their body to move based upon how it's designed and, and how it works to get to that 50-50 fairly consistently because obviously, as you know from your background, you know, small body moves and shifts can change completely, mm-hmm. you know, stress loads or, or uh, you know, aspects of the body. So the consistency of maintaining balance is is important because from a setup to 50-50, we're now moving. We're in, we're basically in space and we have to maintain balance, balance before that front foot comes down. Otherwise, the way we come down will compromise their, our ability to actually swing. For instance, when hitter comes down very heavy on their front foot, they're going to have a front side swing. Mm-hmm. So their front side is going to dominate and take over their swing, which in our thinking, the ideal is we want a backside-driven swing. We want a controller from the backside, and we want to deliver the backside. So essentially, our entire posterior chain is following the move through the ball rather than being cut off by a, a front side spinning off the backside. I like that. Now, and, I, and I think this is maybe an important differentiation to make. You, you talk about a, a backside-dominant swing to engage the larger musculature of the posterior chain. But by the same token, you've spoken about how stay back is terrible advice, you know, so, Correct. you know, how, how, so reconcile those two things for me. And, you know, let's, let's say we're, we're having this discussion with a, you know, the father of a 14 year old hitter who's, who's really trying to do the right thing for his son. You know, how, how do you differentiate those two things for them? Well, the most important thing is it comes back to balance again. If I'm moving in balance, when I come down to that 50, I'm coming down into it just like I would into a fielding position. Mm-hmm. But when we're moving out of balance, and you've got to understand, probably 99.95% of hitters, the minute we picked up a bat at whatever age, 
started operating from imbalances because of the way our body shifted to adjust to the weight of the bat, even if it was only 10 ounces, and also what our body was doing while we were moving our hands in order to hold the bat. So uh, if, if you understand balance and movement, the problem with the kids staying back was because they were making front side moves. They were lunging off their backside to get to the ball, which is very, very common. Mm-hmm. So the key, again, comes down to being able to move in balance. Uh, the best description I think you'd appreciate would be uh, having a hitter in a stance with a 45-pound Olympic bar, lightly held at about shoulder height and level, and now have that hitter actually move to a hitting position, the 50-50, but being able to maintain level shoulders and the level bar, letting their bottom half move them into that position. Um, as you can imagine, if under those circumstances, if the low, lower half separated from the uh, top half, you know, or the shoulders moved off plane or the head, you would see that bar moving a lot and the overall movement of the body would be compromised. Does that give you a good visual? Absolutely. So, and that's, so we, that, that's speaking to it, you know, in, in terms of what we see, but let, let's talk about when you have someone that's been in that pattern for thousands and thousands of swings for a decade, right? You get the person who yeah. learned from, you know, another hitting coach at age 12 or just discovered bad patterns and you've got them as a, you know, a college junior that's trying to get ready for a draft. So A, what do you, what do you say to that person? you know, to, <laughs> to bring them around when it's, when it's absolute heresy compared to what they're used to, um, you know, after hearing stay back over and over and over again, but then also more importantly is what are the, the impactful coaching cues or interventions that, that change that swing for the better? Well, I think once, once you start understanding the body movement aspect of it, and there are a lot of built in problems with stay back one, if I stay back and, you know, I have my weight over my back leg, I'm not going to move athletically. I am compromised from word one. And everything I do from that point is basically a compensation for that imbalance. Not only that is I'm also losing the backside. So the other thing is I tell hitters is once you understand that you're in an athletic stance and when you move into that 50-50 position, which is forward, you see the ball better. That's been a completely... Uh, there's a hundred percent. I have taken hitters that, you know, been in the big leagues for 14, 15 years and get them to make a clean move to a 50, 50 or cleaner move. And the response is, I never seen the ball this well. And bar none, we have never had one student not at any level say, Oh, I see the ball better because that move correlates to better vision. And if that's not a sales point by itself, I'm not sure what would be. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I see a lot of the social media and even organizational now teaching going on where the movements are compromising uh, vision and slash timing, uh, two of the most critical keys to hitting. And so once you start getting a hitter on it, you know, sold into the idea of like, okay, this is why we're doing this. This is how your body works. The key is, I think the body wants to move in balance. Mm-hmm. And what we talk about is years of ingrained patterns of, of, you know, basically a thought of hitting that 
can definitely present some challenges. So the key is being able to make the adjustments within that specific hitter's body that allow them to move better. You may not have it 100%, but you're working towards improvement. The only danger I see, Eric, is when you've got a hitter to a point where they're starting to basically integrate a new movement pattern. Um, and that does take time. I'm, I'm sure you know that. Uh, if they encounter any drill or uh, demand of some other coach to make another move, and if that move happens to excite the old neural pathways, mm-hmm. basically integrate the old move back in, it's going to come right back in. Um, we don't get rid of habits. We just change them. The old habits are always there, the old movement patterns. Um, it's not something the body or the mind forgets. But the key is there's a point where it's a very tenuous situation where they're trying to change. So you want to kind of just completely reinforce the new movement, reinforce the new movement. And so the body can actually start assimilating it in and, you know, getting it ahead of the, what the old movements were. Um, like I said, the work on selling it, that's the easy part. Um, the older the hitter, um, the athleticism the hitter. There's a lot of, lot of, uh, things I never take for granted with, you know, how a hitter changes. As I'm sure you've probably seen, there are athletes that, you know, you say something, let's do that, and immediately they can do it. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, superstar athletes. I mean, ridiculous athletes that it takes longer for them to, you know, to incorporate a change. Mm-hmm. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. That's that challenge of working with each hitter as an individual. Do you think we also have to be careful um, with respect to looking at still frame photos? Um, you know, we had Greg Rose on from, from on base when he spoke to that. And, you know, my, my hunch is that, you know, when you talk about this 50, 50 slash balance position, um, you know, you can, you can cherry pick photos that, that may look great from afar, but if you don't actually appreciate the momentum into that position or, you know, what they were doing prior to that point that you can actually go down some tricky pathways. Has that, has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. Um, When you look at, for instance, even, you know, obviously do an incredible amount of video assessment. Um, I've got a partner, Craig Hyatt, who does an incredible amount of video assessments. But the thing you even look at, even comparing video, you've got different frame rates. Um, There can be deceptions not only in, uh, you know, video, but when someone, you know, takes takes a still, you know, a out of context, and it's kind of a proof of, look, this is what happens. Um, the movements start at the very beginning. Um, frankly, if, if somebody shows me a swing, just the swing itself, I'm, I can't tell you anything. I can see what's going wrong. I can probably give you a pretty good idea of where it all started. But you have to see a swing from setup to, to the completion of it. You also have to base it at the higher levels. I want to see what pitches are coming. Yeah. And what are some of the outside uh, influences other than just the movements? You know what I mean? So the, the key being there's a lot of people that, um, and I have a bias, and I'll, I've always been honest about it. It's definitely balanced. Um, and I believe it's a pretty good be- uh, bias to have because I have never met anybody that could tell me that the human body worked better from a position of imbalance. Yeah, that's a great point. Um and if if 
the human body can work from compromised balance positions. Absolutely. Um, that's been proven. But the movement doesn't mean that it's ideal or body effective. But the human body can replicate and do something over and over again. And whether we agree with its ability to work in concert with the body, it can happen. And I point that out because you see arm injuries. You can have somebody work in a very horrific manner that basically is going to put their arm at risk. And they can do that for X period of time. But suddenly X plus one and now you've got an injury. So it just proves a human body doesn't necessarily know how to work, you know, uh, in balance. We have to kind of rededicate ourselves to that as a hitter. But there's a lot of movements that are taught. You know, we talk about stay back or spin or things of that nature, which seem to have uh, effect because researcher bias is what I'm doing is the best and that means it has to work. Yeah. It's tough for it's tough for us to look at something with very objective manner because we have uh we have a question of accountability. That's a great point. Now actually you led into my next question. So obviously balance is is for you a non-negotiable aspect of successful hitting. Um what are other key things that you think almost all elite hitters do really well even beyond that? What are, what are the things that, you know, are, are important boxes you need to check to make a, a successful big leader? I think the, uh, uh, there's, we call it the, basically the trinity, uh, balance, vision, and timing. They're all tied together. And even though we can see balance and we can kind of feel timing, Vision becomes a different part, but they're all tied together because we move, if we're moving in balance, we basically are on time. We're not wasting time mm -hmm. compensating for bad moves. And if we can start our, if we're in a good position that we can start our swing without other things happening, shift backs, et cetera, it just cleans up the process of moving to that 50 50 because the key is getting down in a good position to hit. And then that idea of the whole idea of vision, when we're balanced, and, and again, to the nth degree, we see better. So it's not only that vision I talked about when you're moving from setup to 50-50. It's also a fact if I maintain really stable uh, head, I'm going to have earlier pitch recognition. And it, it's just a game changer. So I would say those are like the non-negotiable aspects. Um, and they sound simple, but when you think about that, that means in my position, I'm not going to have a setup that starts creating moves that we're going to compensate for. Yeah. And that's the story of our game because most of the stuff we've seen to this point are incredibly gifted athletes with, you know, multiple, you know, uh, incredible tools that are able to survive compensation moves in order to have some consistency at doing, you know, what's the toughest thing to do in sports. Um, so the key we're going to look at, the other non-negotiable, whatever we do, we have to be able to do it very consistently. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to do it consistently. The last part of that would be we want to hit through every ball we see. And in order to hit through every ball we see, we're going to have to basically manage a very clean, direct, linear hand path. 
I love that. So, you know, what I, I think is awesome is as I was preparing for this podcast, um, there was a line that you dropped. You said, I don't fix swings. I fix setups. And I like to think back to one of the things that I teach our coaches and our interns is the solution is in the setup, you know, in in a weight room too, right? Whether you're throwing a med ball or doing a deadlift or, you know, lunging or whatever it is, is where you start always sets up what happens later. And, you know, you just, you just spoke to how it impacts, you know, balance, vision and timing. So I think, I know great minds think alike. I could tell we were going to get along great before we even got on this call. (laughs) Yeah. The, a lot of people don't, you know, like I said, every setup is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the risk of a lot of coaches is to get into what we call cookie cutting. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to move away from the cookie cutting. The one thing I do say is that if we can understand how to kind of unlock the, um, the body and get it to move differently than was traditional, like I said, in what we call stay back stances, it does simplify because I do believe in most cases, particularly as we get into the you know, the higher athlete, the college athlete into the professional ranks, into the big leagues. Um, we're talking, uh, you know, obviously a different, you know, quality of athlete. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, capable of quick change. I'm sure you've gone through that as well. Yeah. But being able to put people in a better position and just start moving more naturally, it's, it's a game changer. That's outstanding. Um, so let's, let's kind of build on that just a little bit. You know, certainly I, I come from a strength conditioning background. Um, you know, and there's, there are certain things that you want folks to do in a high level swing, but we also, you know, sometimes have to deal with the realities of there may be physical limitations, you know, structural changes to a hip or, you know, mm-hmm. substantial injury histories, things like that. What do you think are some of the biggest roadblocks physically to players being able to get to the positions? that you want them to get to, you know, when you, when you look at movement faults, um, you know, what do you find yourself having to, you know, work hand in hand with physical therapists, strength addition coaches to try to address? I think what you, what I think a lot of people ignore is hitting training, uh, you know, different variations for particularly anything that allows the front side to take over the swing. Um, you go actually will create some muscle imbalances, um, just the way the body will sequence. Um, and if we're not, for instance, if, if the body has never learned to kind of work as a unit, um, it's tough for people to put the pieces back together. Uh, you take a lot of youth and all the way up the ladder, I hate to admit, still exists, but a lot of people were spin hitters where they would spin basically the body open to a diagonal long before contact in order to try and swing the bat around the ball. Uh, the, you know, proverbial squash the bug kind of a, a movement. So if you have a young body that's been doing that a while, or even an old body, you're going to get this integrated movement pattern that is actually going to affect, you know, basically how, how the structure is. Um, I've got a young kinesiologist who I work with, and in high school... His main training was he basically swung a heavy bat <laughs> all the time, all the time. And uh, as a result, he never was able to use his, his legs well, uh, definitely became frontside dominant. And he was able to ascertain that literally the development on uh, some of his on his back was completely different from one side to another. He was actually asymmetrical. 
but because he consistently was doing one direction, we laughed and said, well, you should have been swinging the other other hand the other way too, because basically he, he his body built out of balance. Um, and I think you've probably seen that in, you know, particularly in your asymmetrical athletes, that the danger of not working them in balance is that they can overdevelop uh, certain parts of their body, no, and no, the body you, is going to work that sequence. Yeah, the asymmetry in part makes them successful, but if it becomes excessive, then you're um, you're in a bad you're spot. You're in trouble. Yes. So it's a matter of saying, you know, you you want good habits. It's like anything else. And I'm always going to defer back to my bias, which is if balance is my is a good habit, then I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> That's that's a great point. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a tiny bit. Um, earlier on, we we spoke to you know how a, a good swing is consistent from younger levels all the way up to major leaguers. So you've also spoken about how ages thirteen to fourteen is a critical time to get good coaching. I actually say the same thing with respect to strength conditioning. But I'm curious, why is that age so significant to you? Like, what's what's your ideal time to really get quality work in on that front? Well, I, I deem that as that's the time when most hitters or, or players are going to go into just about ready to step into high school where the competition should be, you know, changing. The game should be speeding up. And that's where the first element of, of flaws are going to be seen. Now, um, not to say that six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds shouldn't be working on, you know, good movements. Absolutely they should. The earlier they're just kind of working on good movements, the easier their transitions and adjustments will be throughout the entire range of the game. But when you figure at about age 12, a lot of players are deciding whether they want to continue playing baseball or, you know, go into something else. It's that group that's going in high school that's jumping into the funnel. You know, they're uh, getting ready to, to compete. If we can get their bodies working better at that age, they will be more successful in high school um, and all the way up the chain. The thing you see is, uh, as you imagine, at every level, we have hitters that are successful at that level, um, and they're doing really well. Um, for instance, you have you know really good high school hitters, and then they get to college, and suddenly they fall off the map. And then you have great college hitters, you get signed into pro ball and then suddenly they fall off the map. So what we look at is as we keep coming up level by level by level, there's a need for adjustability. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, we see, you know, the answer to adjustability is balance <laughs> because balance creates vision and timing. Um, and what happens is the less I have to compensate, the more I can just, you know, slow the game down while it's speeding up. If I know it sounds like a dichotomy, but that's what I have to do. So the earlier we can get movements into a hitter before there's, you know, getting into that, you know, that high school competition, we're probably building a really good foundation for those athletes who want to take baseball to the next level. And I honestly feel that a lot of players that give up baseball, even, you know, 12 years old mm-hmm. or after high school, are because their mechanics, the way their body was moving, didn't allow them to hit. When you can't hit, this is a tough game to be part of. Yeah, 
there's a lot of failure. And if you're, you're failing even more than, than the other guys, it's even harder to stick with that game at a young age. Um, yeah. and I'm, I'm curious. So you, one of the things that's been really interesting about this podcast is I always knew that we'd have like, you know, a lot of high school and college baseball players that listen to us. We have, you know, great, you know, pro audience as well, both of like kind of support staff as well as players and all that. What I never actually expected quite as much was how many like fathers and sons or moms and sons will listen to these podcasts, you know, on rides to games or practices or anything like that. They'll actually like flip it on the car. So, you know, those parents that want to help their, their 13 year olds, what's the biggest advice you can give to them as they enter that crucial stage um, with respect to to teaching and and managing a hitter? Are you going to laugh? It's a favorite word of mine. Balance. There you go. (laughs) Uh, What, you know, the, the key to, you know, is, is not just going in hitting a baseball and, uh, there's a, uh, too many kids are out there right now putting a quarter in a machine, trying to just practice hitting a ball coming at them rather than everything that comes into that prior. For instance, you know, the setup and the move. Yep. Um, they're just dialing in the swing. And I see that error being made a lot with a lot of your social media, uh, swing gurus, mm-hmm. um, that are just, you know, teaching results. Rather than understanding consistency and results at the highest level is a matter of the work that goes into it before. Mm-hmm. Very little is, is the, you know, at the moment of, of hitting a baseball, but so much more can be done by just learning to move well. Uh, I'm sure you'll appreciate that because yeah. the key is being able to, you know, get the body moving in order so now we can go into its process. Um, this is, as you know, with our professional players, it never ends. I mean, there's always work in the gym. There's always work in the cage. There's always work on the mound. Um, there's there's no layoff. Um, and we have to get conditioned to that. Um, from a swing standpoint, goodness, I would really want them to kind of, you know, just try to focus, you know, I guess set with one thing. Uh, I appreciate hitters and Players and parents and coaches have been looking for answers for a long time. And I think that kind of works against us a little bit because now you've got a lot of stuff out there unfiltered in the social media and everybody worried about followers and, yeah. and retweets. But the reality is there's a lot of stuff out there that I would, I would say is objectionable. Yeah. From a standpoint that if it's not moving the way our body's designed to move, it's going to be a detriment, if not completely a fatal flaw in a hitter. And I don't think any of us wants to train a hitter to fail. We have to understand failure, but we don't want to actually set it up from a standpoint of they have no, that this is going to run, their swing is going to run out of rope. Yeah. I think you want to make sure that if, if you, if you're setting them up for failure, it's, it's failure in an environment where it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Where right. it's can, understanding can, it. Yeah. 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 They can learn from it and bounce back. So, um, so you, you also made a, I, I was super intrigued when I heard this. So you said recently that 90% of what you do to become a good hitter doesn't involve swinging a bat at all. Hmm. Um, can you elaborate for me a bit on that one? Absolutely. In fact, that ties into yeah. what we were just talking about because, uh, I routinely tell my players that, you know, the hitting the ball is, you know, actually those contact points where even in a practice situation, that's a small side of it. What we need to be doing is moving um, and strengthening our movement, not necessarily building, you know, 
mass, but yeah. strengthening our body in, in the moves that it's going to use. Uh, for instance, my hitters do an incredible amount of just, you know, different balancing moves. Um, uh, in order to get used to one balance, understanding it, because it's something we take for granted. Um, and an infielder can show you balance and a pitcher can show you balance. And without a mirror, most hitters are going to be out of balance. They're going to tell you, well, my shoulders are level and they're going to suddenly look in the mirror. Well, my front shoulder is down. You know, I'm downhill or, you know, wow, I am over my back leg. So they have to kind of go through a process of relearning balance. But then more importantly, then moving in balance. And as we described earlier with uh, moving the, you know, the weight bar and with younger hitters, we use obvious 45 pound Olympic bars, not the way to go. Mm-hmm. But we can also use, you know, six, 10, 15 pound, you know, exercise bars just to again be moving, being able to feel your body and that the critical thing we try to build is back the being able to have the backside the back leg control the move forward which sounds inside of itself sounds easy and most anybody that's thrown a ball at uh, you know probably at high school can actually make a move that you can feel the back leg controlling the move into the throw but the minute you put the bat in their hands and you drop the you know hands down Suddenly now you find that they can't make the same move. They can't find the back leg the way that they could when they were throwing. So an incredible amount of our work is, you know, developing, you know, the backside and the back leg control and movements in balance. I love that. All right. So we always have, uh, you know, at the end of our podcast, we do a lightning round. So it's, you know, basically ask quick questions that are, you know, answered off the cuff and, you know, for players, we ask about things like who's your favorite, you know, teammate of all time and things like that. But, you know, with you, I'm going to go in a little different direction. What are the, what are the resources that you love? You know, if you actually, you, you talked about all the stuff that's maybe not great on social media. Yeah. What, what is a good thing to check out, um, for, for folks who are interested in, in learning more and, and seeing good swings? Oh, goodness. I think if there's any one follow is, would be Craig Hyatt. Um, he posts an incredible number of, of videos and, and gifts on hitting. Um, his commentary and his descriptions are pretty much money. Uh, yeah, that would be my only follow because I think the most important thing is for people watch hitters, mm-hmm. not necessarily listen to somebody describe it. Um, you know, I've watched people describe even some of my hitters like Justin Turner. And they've gone in these details of talking about what he's doing. And I'm looking at this going, that's not it at all. (laughs) So without, you know, being able to just watch hitters without commentary, even my own, watch hitters and let your eyes tell you what you see. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably one of the best resources. Right now, there is just so much information out there. And before even we got into the social media and we started in the internet, even if you'd go to a, a bookstore, how dinosaurish is that? <laughs> you would actually find literally book after book after book about hitting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some authors you'd recognize and some authors you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of information out there that the tough thing is being able to filter through it. And, 
you know, uh, the thought of the authoritative author has to be taken kind of with a grain of salt because there's a lot of really great major league hitters who aren't really good major league coaches. Um, Just because we were good at something doesn't necessarily mean that we're able to teach it. Um, So I would say the resources available, ah, yeah, they just, you just have to kind of search through them. That Craig's and, a good one. That's a great follow, though. I think that's a really yeah. good place to start. And, and you actually just hinted at it. So you talked about big league hitters not always making big league coaches, and it led into my next lightning round question. So, okay. we, you know, we hear stories about guys being like, yeah, I, you know, I take the, the knob to the baseball, and, you know, it's not even close to what they do. What's the, the most dramatic overcorrection that a player has ever related to you as a means of making themselves successful? You know, there's kind of like the the reality of what the swing is versus what they describe it as, which is not even close. Yeah, well, and that's where we get in trouble because, you know, literally some guys feel they'll take a swing and they'll describe it to me and they're saying I'm swinging down the ball. And I'm going to look at that swing and go, yeah, okay, if that's your thought of swinging down the ball, stay with it because that's their internal cue. And now you take the uh, visual of of swinging down the ball, and if if his swing described a different swing, then I would have to take, you know, a little bit of umbrage with that. Mm -hmm. But – um, I, I think the, the biggest changes have to come, like I said, is definitely bat path and, and literally the bringing the bat down towards ball, you know, hitting down the ball. And it's still something that a lot of major leaguers thought they did or tried to do and probably wound up in kind of an in between because uh, believe me, if you hit a lot of ground balls, you're not going to play in the big leagues. Your contact isn't going to be what it needs to be at that level. Um, but I think that by far the, the concept of swing down is the biggest one to get past. I like that. Um, so last one. All right. Young Douglada, like, Give him some advice. You know, think back to, I don't know, 20 years ago when you're, when you're doing hitting instruction. What's one thing that you know that, that you wish you, uh, you had back then? Let's see. Uh, yeah. Perseverance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're, you're going to weather a storm. Yeah. You know, and as you, we talked earlier, uh, from, uh, from day one, you know, from we started, when I started teaching, there was a lot of ridicule, literally. And from both sides of the equation, because we worked, you know, very heavily with, uh, softball, college softball players. Mm And, you know, between the baseball coaches and the softball coaches and the parents, uh, it was pretty tough, you know. So I guess, you know, stick to your guns, stay with it, you know, and, and just, you know, the same thing that applied then is get a little better every day. I love it. Um, so folks can find out more about you. It's uh, www.ballyard.net. You're also an, an active guy on Twitter. It's at Latta Doug. It's L-A-T-T-A-D-O-U-G. Um, this was super informative. I actually learned a lot and had a, had a lot of fun with this. So thanks so much for taking the time, Doug. Oh, thanks for having me, Eric. And uh, I enjoyed it as much as you did. 
Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Again, we've got a great sale going on this week. Until the end of the week, you can get $50 off on my popular resource, Sturdy Shoulder Solutions. This is a great resource, not just for clinicians, but also for uh, exercise enthusiasts and folks who are working in the personal training and strength conditioning fields. So if you head to www.sturdyshoulders.com and enter coupon code PODCAST50, you can get the discount. See you next week.